came across a book recently regarding the qualities of resilience and grit by an author named Angela Duckworth. The book is entitled Grit. And I've shared these concepts with teachers and students, with athletes, married young couples alike. This author studied the lives of those who succeeded and exceeded from West Point to successful first-year teachers, the New York Philharmonic. And she states the following on page 193. A growth mindset leads to optimistic ways of explaining adversity, and that in turn leads to perseverance and seeking out new challenges that will ultimately make you even stronger. She says, my recommendation is for teaching yourself hope and is to take each step in sequence, growth mindset, optimistic self-talk, perseverance over adversity, and then to ask. She goes on to say, we should ask ourselves, what can I do to boost myself in this circumstance? She says, my first suggestion in that regard is to update your beliefs about intelligence and talent. She says, my next suggestion is to practice optimistic self-talk. As I reviewed her work, as well as that of scores of medical articles and other authors regarding grit and resilience in tough times, I've gleaned the following. Number one, sustained and focused application over time is one of the main keys to grit and resilience. Number two involves perseverance based on deeply held beliefs. Number three derives from a sense of vocational calling or a calling upon your own life that's higher than your circumstances and something you're made specially for. The fourth is to be motivated by serving high purposes. And you'll see that displayed throughout our talk today. Her summary statement regarding the grit that causes perseverance is this. Persistence of motive, effort, confidence in your abilities, great strength and force of character. And ladies, we can always work on character. As a result of her work and my studies in her research and that of others, I want to summarize so far with a definition of integrity of character that follows. What do you know to be true? Two, how do you apply that to your daily life? And number three, what are you doing about it today? So section three, what is your responsibility and what is within your control? So, so far with a better perspective, I hope, maybe a little new motivation, let's turn to what to do and how to do it daily. So something I've been working on a lot lately is focus on what I can control. So from various sources and that I've researched, including the Happiness Project, which many of you have read by Gretchen Rubin, research and publications from wide sources, even the Harvard Health Lab, and some items that I've published on What's Up Doc, the YouTube channel. These are some initial suggestions of things to start or keep doing to get you through this tough time. Number one. Give thanks for what you have and appreciate now, maybe what those things were that you failed to appreciate in the past. Number two, make use of time to improve your health, especially exercise. Even just 12 minutes a day walking has been shown to improve people's mood. Number three, learn to cook and eat well. This is a great opportunity to get away from fast food and eating out because you can't go to restaurants in a lot of places. Next, take advantage of increased opportunity to get into healthy sleep routines. Number five, appreciate the outdoors and nature in a time that was previously cluttered with other activities that distracted us. Number six, organize and declutter your spaces. Seven, take the time to see if your viewpoint about the current events is based on fact and logic or emotion. Number eight, find a way to stay connected to or deepen connections with those you care about. Number nine, Learn to do something new and improve your mind and skills 
especially ways to effectively use technology to communicate and improve your life. Number 10, learn new stress coping techniques and try to break the destructive coping habits and cycles that may have led to some downfalls in the past. So, solution number three, get out your to-do list and stop procrastinating. There's truly no better time than the present to make necessary changes. Then don't quit. For example, here's my new pandemic to-do list from April. Every day, do one thing for the house, one thing for your health, one thing for the home, one thing for faith and eternity, one thing for finances, have one good conversation, do one thing to improve a relationship, and do one thing to improve my mind. Now, I fail at several of those many days for the last several weeks weekly, uh, but I have done infinitely better than if I hadn't placed those goals and words on my calendar every day. We'll talk a little bit about the calendar later. So, are you doing what you can? Are you doing what you know you should be doing? Coach Paul Bear Bryant famously said, it's not the will to win that matters. Everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. So solution number four, it's what you do, not what you wish. So do it. Now. All right. So let's think about these issues of limited time, limited resources that we all have, changing in opportunities, and the changes that we know we need to make within the unique opportunities offered by the COVID pandemic. And you may not have thought about it that way, but there's new opportunities that we've not had before. Just go ask Home Depot how their sales are doing for home improvement. So let's take the what to say no to first, because most of us already know the things that we're doing that we need to put away and the things that we resent and regret after we've given them our time and energies and resources. I would like to introduce many of you to concepts that you've never thought of or heard of before. And these are three object lessons that I'd like to share. And you'll see these on the screen called the big rocks, the four quadrants, and the two circles. Now, these are not original to me. Oh, I wish they were. These are from the Covey Leadership Center and Stephen R. Covey, who is an organizational and motivational genius, in my opinion. And I highly recommend his books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and First Things First. The principles in these works are life-changing, and the life of my family has been profoundly changed by the application of these principles. The Big Rocks, a story. It is told that a time management expert teaching on scheduling and priorities used this object lesson with some adult industry leaders. As he spoke to them, he brought out a large five-gallon jar and set it on a table, and he first asked the conference attendees as he began to fill that jar with large fist and softball-sized rocks, uh, what they thought about time and management. And as he began to do that, he, he got that jar filled all the way to the brim. And then he asked them, what else do you think we might be able to get in here? And someone kind of hesitantly said, gravel. So he brought out some pea-sized gravel and began to fill the jar with those pebbles, shaking and tilting it until every space that he could get full between those big rocks was filled with pebbles. Then he asked if anyone thought that he could get more in. So another person said, sand. So he brought out some fine sea sand and, and began to fill the crevices in between that pebble uh, surface and until every crevice of that jar was filled up right to the lip with sand. As he looked at the crowd before he could even get the words out, someone said, water. So the speaker got out a two-gallon jar of water and got well over a gallon 
of water into the jars. He slowly poured it, letting it seep down to the bottom through the sand. After a few seconds of silence, he looked up and he said to the audience, So what's the point? A hand was raised in the back and Covey recognized the attendee. And they said, no matter what you do, and no matter how well you plan, you can always put a little bit more on your schedule. There's always more we can get in. But the speaker gently said, no. The point is, if you don't get the big rocks in first, there will never be room enough for them. The audience sat in stunned silence. And you may be right there now as well. Ladies, what we all know is, We have big rocks in our life, and I think we pretty much all know what the big rocks are. But we let our jar, that is all the hours of the week and all of our resources and all of our energy, get filled up with the pebbles and the sand and the water. And then we can't even get the big rocks in. What are the big rocks? Well, you know what they are. Taking care of our health, nourishing our relationships, addressing issues of faith in our legacy, sharpening our mind getting the education or accomplishing the major life goals that we set years or decades ago. So what are the big rocks in your life? They are all going to fall within the roles that you know are yours to fulfill. They will all correspond to the principles and priorities that you know that you ought to live your life by. We've got to identify and prioritize those bedrock principles and issues within our lives for which we must begin to make and plan time. I'd like to read an excerpt from a book called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, pages 111 to 118. This is the Kindle edition. Now, Oswald Sanders was a teacher in the China Inland Mission, which was famous in the 1950s, and his words are uh, applicable to all, but intensely spiritual by nature. He said, The character and career of a young person depends on how he or she spends spare time. We cannot regulate school or office hours. Those are determined for us. But we can say what we will do before and after those commitments. The way we employ the surplus hours after provision has been made for work, meals, and sleep will determine if we develop into mediocre or powerful people. Sanders went on to say, Suppose that we allot ourselves a generous eight hours a day for sleep, and few need more than that, three hours for meals and conversation, ten hours for work and travel. We still have 35 hours each week to fill. What happens to them? How are they invested? A person's entire contribution to others may turn on how those hours are used. Certainly those hours determine whether life is commonplace or extraordinary. He went on to quote a lifelong reader who was asked how they got time to read so many books. The answer surprised the person who asked the question. They said, I don't get time. I take time. How do we organize around prioritized truths that we say we know and believe. We need to make and take time. So solution five is therefore very simple and brief. Find your big yes so that you can learn to say what to know to. So that we can now turn to the second of our teaching tools to deal with that, the four quadrants. 